Um, I think I was here um, September, you had said, I think, Will. I, think, I was here September, I think, the last time I spoke. And that was just before my trip to Israel. And uh, so I'm going to be sharing some things about that um, as, I, as I share with the message today. But um, I want to begin just by reading a scripture verse together with you. And I don't have the reference. I know it's in Luke. I believe it's chapter 4, maybe. It's about the call to discipleship. I didn't write down the text, uh, but I believe it's Luke chapter 4, verse 24 through 25, maybe. 23 through 24. See if that is correct before I... Oh, thanks. I'm going to give him a minute, see if that comes up. Cost of discipleship. Everybody hear me all right back there? All? Okay, cool. All the way back in the back row? <laughs> Is that Luke chapter 4? No? No. Okay, so it doesn't matter. Let me read it, and then we'll figure it out. How's that? Um... You know when you're, when you're doing computer stuff and you're copying and pasting, sometimes you leave things out, so sorry about that. But um, what I want to share with you, I was telling Bethany what I've been preaching at the, the church that I pastor in New Hampshire. No, did I just say that? Yeah, <laughs> wow. No, I know, right? <laughs> Massachusetts. That's where Chris and I, when I was pastoring, it was in New Hampshire. But in Massachusetts, can we start over again? Yeah. <laughs> All right, awesome. Hi! <laughs> It's good to be with you. <laughs> when I was telling Bethany when I've been, pat, when I've been, oh boy, yeah, preaching at my church um, in Massachusetts that I pastor in Haverhill, Massachusetts, and some of you have come up to serve with me at holidays, and I just want to thank you so much for that. It's been a blessing. We really appreciate it. And um, so this month we're teaching on discipleship. So when I told Bethany what I'm teaching at home, she goes, "Oh, do discipleship. That'd be great." And uh, so I came prepared to share that with you, but as I was in worship, um, there's some things that God weaved in and out of it that uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I have no clue, but we're going to have fun. And, um, discipleship, I want to share with you this verse. This is the cost of discipleship, and this is Jesus speaking to his followers. And it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Mm-hmm. Father, I know that the word of the Lord is true. And I know that the Spirit of God is the one that teaches us the word. So Lord, I'm asking for you to help me today to be able to communicate the word in such a way that your Holy Spirit would teach us You're much deeper, much wider, much higher, much broader than any of us can communicate. So I'm dependent upon the teacher to come. Would you teach us the word today? Would you teach us what it means to be a true disciple of Christ? Would you teach us, Lord, to be followers in every dimension of life? Father, I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before I do, I just want to share with you, uh, that we jump into this, that I use three disciples to focus on to kind of clarify some things I'm going to share with you today. The first disciple is Thomas. And we know the story of Thomas, he's known as Doubting Thomas. The day that he was with the, the fellowship of the believers and um, the report came in that Jesus has, had risen from the dead just as he said he was going to. 
And Thomas's response was, what a lot of Christians disciple followers of Christ are. I'll see it when I believe it. You know, Heidi Baker can come to Harvard University and she can talk about, we've lost count of how many people we've raised from the dead. And followers, believers of Christ can say something like, yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. But yet it's a reality and it's truth, but we just haven't seen it yet. So there are a lot of people that are disciples, lovers of God, but they are intellectually walking out their faith. If they can see it, they believe it. If they can wrap their mind around it and they understand it, then they'll accept it. It's an intellectual Christian. I, Jesus gave us, uh, God gave us brains. I'm not negating the need for our mind and to think. But I, what I'm saying is, when you put what you can see ahead of faith, what happens is you become a Christian that walks by sight and not by faith. And so it's very important that we don't end up like Thomas saying, yeah, well, I'll believe the second coming when I see it. I'll believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. Because after all, it could be theory, could be a big story, but when I see him on that day that he's returned, and I can put my finger in the holes, then I'll believe. But all the while saying, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe. But the Bible says even the devil believes. Demons believe. So what we have to be careful of is calling ourselves a follower, but not yet fully accepting and receiving and believing in every area of our soul. So there's that type of a disciple, a follower. There's the, the, they're the believer. They believe. They believe what they can see. Then there's the receiver. That type of follower of Christ is a, I receive from God through revelation, and what I receive from God, I can then believe. So, But I receive him in my heart. I receive him in my life. And when I feel the Lord, man, I get the bumps. <laughs> and if the bumps aren't there, the Lord ain't there. <laughs> it's all about receiving some kind of witness, receiving a revelation, receiving uh, a witness that God is present, or that God's speaking. You know, they open up the word and it's like, well, I don't feel like I'm receiving anything from the Lord because I'm not receiving anything. I, I, you know, study of the Bible is like important, but not my primary because they're not receiving revelation. They're not receiving something new. Then our every day has to be an exciting day. To keep them focused, to keep them on track, to keep them following. It has to be, I'm receiving, receiving, receiving. So I go over to this church and receive here, and I go over to this church and receive there, and I go there to get a prophetic word, and I go over here because the worship is good. i just got to feel God. <laughs> yep, there's a whole bunch of them peeps. <laughs> you know, there are people that are wired so they have to feel, and they have to be receiving all the time. But you know, one of the things that we decided at our church, not saying it's right, I'm just saying it's what we decided. Every church is different, like every family, like every individual. Yeah. At our, our home church, what we said is, you know what, if every week we're giving them a different message, how can they grasp one message? Let's, let's, let's sit on a topic for a month. Let's develop it. Let's nurture it. Let's meditate on it. Let's tear it apart. Let's be in that stream of a topic for one month so that we can get it before we move on. Now you have to remember, our church is specifically designated and our target population of people are the distressed. <coughs> emotionally distressed. Mentally distressed. People that are living in trauma. People that are living in crisis. People that are addicts. People that are come from broken homes. People that have uh, inability to be able to socialize emotionally with people because they've never been nurtured. So for us to throw a new topic at them every single week would make them schizophrenic. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't know what to believe because they didn't have enough time to really assimilate it, to work it out, to actually live it out, to call it their own. 
So that's what we do. And so when we spend time on that, we try to help people that say, well, we're going we're gonna to be on discipleship for a whole month. Well, I'm not feeling that. Get over your feeler. <laughs> and, and realize it's good for you. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, <clears throat> we used to have to eat liver and onions once a week. I don't think people do that anymore. Does anybody eat liver? Yeah. But, but, but I remember my mom saying, it's good for you. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that's what they thought then. But there's certain things you eat, it's because it's good for you, not because you like it. Not because it tastes good. Because why is it that everything that tastes so good is so wrong for you? Because <laughs> if we only ate about what tastes good, we would never eat some of the things that we should be eating that's right for us, right? Same is true with the Word of God. We have to eat those things that are going to make us healthy and strong from the Word of God, even if we don't like it. It has to come to make us balanced, to make us mature, to make us grow. And so, as a disciple, we have to move beyond just what we can see so we can believe, and just what we feel, because we've got to always be receiving, into the next type of a believer, and that is called the conceiver. Now, let me explain to you. So, Thomas is kind of like the believer. I'll believe it when I see it. And then Peter is like the receiver. Peter always had to be in the mix of everything. It, had to, it was always emotional, and it was always crazy. Um, but Peter, you know, Peter would be one minute, you're the Christ, and then the next minute he'd be going, I don't know you. Um, so depending on what environment he's in was whether or not he felt God. <laughs> so God was not at the coal fire when the little handmaiden was saying to him, I know you, you're one of his. He was like, not feeling it. He wasn't feeling like he was part of Jesus' band. You know what I'm saying? So Peter would be kind of like that receiver, that, that, that person that always has to have something going on, feeling something, feeling good, feeling strong. And then there's the conceiver. And then I'm going to get into the message. The conceiver is like John the Beloved. John the Beloved was with Jesus through his entire ministry, and he wasn't like Peter up and down. He wasn't like Thomas, the doubter. He was consistent, steady. And as a matter of fact, at the, I love the pictures of the, um, you know, the Last Supper. And it shows John the Beloved leaning on Jesus. He was the one that didn't have... The macho feeling of like, I can't be close to the Lord because he's a guy. It looked really weird, especially if they were in Massachusetts. But So he's got his head on the chest of Jesus, and he's listening to the heartbeat of God. Not worried about what he looks like. See, he's not, he's not the emotional one of like, oh, I don't want everybody to think this of me. And he's not the one that has to see it to believe it. His heart was connected. And so because he was connected, he could conceive. Hate to use natural terms, some people get freaked out, especially if you've got any abuse in your background. But God compares the church and Jesus as a husband and a wife. You don't conceive unless you rest. You're not going to conceive while you're running the Boston Marathon. When you're busy, 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 and not spending time with him just to conceive, just to not. I'm not talking about receiving a new feeling or a new revelation. I'm talking about being comfortable with just being in his presence and allowing a conception to come in your spirit that causes you not only to be a believer, not only to be one that receives, but also one now that can reproduce the life of Christ in others. Amen. See, so they're all disciples, but at a different level of intimacy. They're all believers, but at a different level of walking that out, with a different level of fruitfulness in their lives. You know what I love about the Lord? So many things, but... One of the things that I love is, man, he didn't go, Peter, you are one big jamoke. And so I ain't picking you for the day of Pentecost. 
It's John I'm picking, because he's stuck with me through thick and thin. He still picks the ones that are all over the place, the emotional ones. Because like he said about Peter, you like this, Pete? Flapping in the breeze, but I'm going to make you like a rock. See, God always looks at us not just where we're at, because he acknowledges where we're at, but he looks at us for where he's taken us. And I don't know about you, but the more I study about John the Beloved and the, and the disciple that Jesus loved, the more I realize it's going to be that kind of a believer that will survive the last days. It will be that kind of a believer that will not doubt him when the day comes when you no longer buy and sell without some type of an indicator to run under a scan. And instead of saying, but God, I'll, I, I, I kind of thought you were going to return and I kind of thought these things were going to happen, but I didn't really believe it. But, you know, God, my emotions, you don't want me to suffer, right, Lord? Because, after all, you suffered for me, so I don't have to. So, you understand that I'm hungry. You understand that I, my children are hungry. So, God, I know that you love me, and everything's going to work out okay in the end, so I'm just going to do what has to be done so I can survive now. See, we'll adjust the Word of God based on our feelings, based on what we need, instead of based on truth. Whether I live or whether I die, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Whether I eat or whether I starve, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Whether I have lack or I have plenty, blessed be the name of the Lord. There has to be something that happens in the believers of our century that takes us beyond just what we can see and beyond just what we feel into the reality of truth of who Jesus Christ really is. And I'll tell you that one of the things for me and uh, sorry, I get emotional because this is where I'm, I feel to go now. And that doesn't mean that I'm not, that's not necessarily it's the bump thing that helps me to know. But I just know when my heart is tender and when I, when I just really feel to go in this direction. And that's this, is that I've been a, a follower of Jesus Christ for 35 years. And I'm going to say something that I'm not trying to uh, be melodramatic. I'm not trying to be emotional here. I'm just trying to say it like it is. It has never been easy. Has never been easy. And I used to look at some other people's lives that would have a testimony of like, oh my gosh, I prayed and God did this and bing, bang, bong and all this stuff happens and it's like just pray and believe and just pray and believe. And, and I'd be like, well, jeez, I do the same thing you do, but I don't get the same results. And I can remember feeling like, what am I, mince liver? You know, what, is it that I'm doing something wrong? Is it that I was born on the wrong side of the tracks? Is it that I'm not educated? Is it, is it this? Is it that? And I used to think all the time, what, why don't I see the same things that other people see? Why don't I have the same testimony? Why is it hard hitting against the, the rock, you know, always, always hard? Why is it like that, Lord? And I can remember when um, I went to Israel, and this is where it all began to change. I remember thinking how hot it was to live in America. Ha! Let me just tell you, you go to a country where it's really hot, we got a cakewalk. There is nothing hard about living in America. Can I, can I, do you mind? I work with the homeless, I work with the addicts, I work with the, but I'm going to tell you, they don't get it hot. Let me tell you who has it hot. When you see hardship in another country, and you know that there isn't a government system with EBT, and there isn't a government system with Medicaid. And there isn't a government system that takes care of all these things. These people starve to death. And there's nobody to help them. These people, there is no help. Unless their neighbor helps them. 
And then realizing the Good Samaritan, when Jesus gave the analogy in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the first two people to walk by were what we would call today Christians. Of course, they weren't. They were Jewish men that served in the synagogue. But, you know, we call it Christians. Christians, they were busy to go on their way to their ministry. They're busy doing what needs to be done for the ministry. They're, they don't want to get dirty. They don't want to take the time. They don't want to get involved. It's a big job. It's a big sinkhole getting involved in people's lives. But you know who stopped? A Samaritan. You know what a Samaritan was? A dog. That's what they called Samaritans. Samaritans were Jewish people that married into paganism that lived in Samaria. Remember when Jesus said, I'm going to Samaria. And the disciples said, Lord, you can't go there. It's where the dogs live. And the Lord said, no, I must go to Samaria. And he says in the book of Acts, first, when you become a witness, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're a witness, first in Jerusalem. Then in Samaria. Samaria. Don't forget the Samaritans. Don't forget the ones that have lost their way. Don't forget the ones who once walked with God and who were once a part of the fellowship of the saints. Who got into the Thomas, I don't believe unless I can see. Got into Peter, oh if I don't feel it then it's not God. They got away from. And those that stay and remain and stay and abide. Don't forget to pray for them. Don't forget to pray for Jerusalem. Don't forget to pray for those that once were apart that are gone. Don't forget them. Jesus didn't forget those that were once apart and left. Don't forget them. Carry them in prayer. Carry them in your heart. So as I went to Jerusalem, I want to tell you there was nothing on my calendar or even in my brain to ever go to Jerusalem. When I got married, I had um, a best man and maid of honor at my wedding were actually Jewish people. I used to take care of their child. I was 16 when I met them. They were 21. So as I grew up taking care of their children, I became older and somehow we got caught up. In age, you know what I mean? Like I kind of ended up in their age bracket. So they became friends. So they were my best man and maid of honor in my wedding. And um, so lost touch with them after many years, but I had Jewish friends, okay? So then what happens is I lose touch with my Jewish friends, and I, I, I love them, I care about them, but I'm not thinking about them. They're just, they've gone to Florida or whatever. And so what ends up happening is I come down here to Jayhop, and it was the Hamels that came, John and Jolene Hamel. And they were here ministering one night. This was just maybe a year and a half ago. And uh, Bethany called. She said, Mom, the Hamels are here, and why don't you come on down? You need some encouragement. So I came down, and I, I'm, I'm bringing this heavy burden from the church, you know. The things I'm carrying for my city, things I'm carrying for the people that I care about, that I pastor, that I shepherd. And I'm like, God, I need a word. I need a word, God, about this situation, that situation. Give me a word, God. So I come down here. What do I get? A word about going to Israel. I don't want to go to Israel. I, I, I don't have any desire to go to Israel. As a matter of fact, I, ha I never think of my Jewish friends. I completely lost track of them, and it was, that was past, and it's over. So what happens is this. As a disciple, as a follower, I couldn't wrap my mind around Israel. I couldn't even get emotional about it, because I didn't have any... I wasn't praying for Israel. Sorry. Not asking for a show of hands, but eh, there's some of you in this room, you don't even think of Israel. Neither did I. So I get this word, I'm going to go to Israel. Now the church is in debt. I don't have a big lucrative income. And I'm supposed to go to Israel. Right. It's only like $3,500 to go to Israel for a trip. And I don't even know who's going to Israel. What do I do? Can I go to Israel with you? Can you pay my ticket? So this is what I did. And this is what a disciple needs to do. See, when God starts messing up your plan, God starts messing up your head, messing up your heart, messing you up, you're just going to have to be either, either go with it 
or it's going to break you. So I've, I, I've been walking with the Lord long enough to know how this thing goes. So I said, Lord, as a disciple, okay, I want to follow your will, but this is nowhere on my radar. So this is how I prayed. I said, God, number one, I don't have a burden for the Jewish people. Number two, I don't have any money to go. And number three, I don't even want to go. <laughs> so, and I know John and Julene are not false prophets. Okay, so I, this is what I did. I brought it to the Lord and I just said, God, all I can say is as your disciple, I will go where you want me to go. I will say what you want me to say. What have I got to say to anybody that lives in Israel? What have I got to say? I will pray what you ask me to pray. The Bible says, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all nations. So God, would you help me to pray for Israel? Because I don't even think of Israel. This is a big headline in the newspaper. There's a bomb gone off. And then I think, oh man, I'm glad I don't live in Israel. That's about this. <laughs> so, I know, right? Isn't that, it's shameful. I, it is what it is. So, so what happens is, there's a, there's a Jewish guy that lives in our, in our city. He's a rabbi. He's a Jewish rabbi. Works with chosen people's ministries. So, I've heard of him. I don't know him. Out of the clear blue sky, he calls me. He says, listen, I'm calling some local churches in Havel. I'm a Havel resident. Um, you know, I'm a minister, a rabbi, Jewish, uh, messianic believer, and I'm um, filled with the Spirit of God and I'm um, with Chosen People's Ministries. And I was wondering, can I come to your church? I'm like, yeah. Come to my church and talk, to, talk about Israel and about the Gentiles' place in the people of Israel's heart and God's heart for Israel and how the Gentiles are really now, because of the Jewish people, the Gentiles have salvation. And now because of the salvation that God has brought to the Gentiles, it's to make the Jewish people hungry for the Lord. Amen. So I had to say to him, I said, Rabbi, I don't have a heart for your people, and I'm sorry that I don't, but I want one. So as a follower of Christ, I'm ashamed to say I don't think of them. I don't have a heart for them. I'm not broken over them. And now God's gone and given me a word, I'm going there. And if I don't have a burden for them, anything I have to say is just going to be empty words. And I, I really want, I want God to break my heart for your people. And so I came to our church. I humbled myself and I said, would you pray for me? Would you lay your hands and ask God to break my heart with the things that break his heart? Because I, I want what God wants. Even though it's not on my radar screen, even though I've never prayed about it, it's not anything I've ever wanted, but I'm willing. I'm willing, God, to go to Israel. And uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that song. I'm sure you do it here. I will go, uh, the gen... Where you go, yeah, That's it. And um, sing it all the time. Did I mean it? Do we mean it? I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I can remember being in a church service, and the Lord gave me a prophetic word for two men in the church, and I said, well, God, haven't you read the Bible? <laughs> Women should not be doing that in church. <laughs> so... What are you doing? Trying to get me in trouble? Um, I can't give that word to these gentlemen. I, I'm, I'm the wrong gender. Hadn't you noticed? <laughs> and, then, and then you hear, you know, the scripture verse that in, in, there's neither Greek, nor Jew, nor male, nor female, nor slave, or, or free man. In, in Christ, we're all one. And I'm like, yeah, but God, Paul said, I'm telling God his word. Paul said, here, here, I, I'm going to keep my mouth shut in church, so I don't know what you're trying to do here, but this, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that when God does stuff I don't believe in. <laughs> so, but I can remember, I can remember saying to the Lord, I, I, are you trying to get me kicked out of the church? I mean, I can't do that. These guys won't listen to me anyway, so find yourself another jamoke. That's a, that's a word I use a lot. Um, find yourself somebody else that's willing to do it, because I'm not even willing. 
So, see, there's been times that God has spoke to me, and I know it's God, but I haven't been willing. Because I wasn't taught that it's okay to honor the Lord as a female. I wasn't taught that. I was taught, as a female, you can teach Sunday school to kids. And that's about the extent of it. See, I didn't know. I didn't know what the Bible said about Deborah leading the army of the Lord. I didn't know what Abigail... Abigail said, Nabal, God bless you. You're my husband, but you're a fool. She went and honored the Lord. She honored the king anyway, in spite of him. See? And I, I just didn't ha- I never was exposed to that balance of teaching. So, in honoring the Lord throughout my life, it has been on my terms. What doesn't put me in trouble, what doesn't, you know, I'm always in trouble, but... What now? But because I don't care anymore. But anyway, I was always in trouble feeling like, God, you're trying to hurt me. You're trying to kill me. You're trying to get me in trouble, and I just don't want to be in trouble. I like peace, all right? I, I like it when everybody likes me. I like it when nobody's mad. I like it when there's no conflict. You know that about me, so why do you do this to me? And I wrestle with God, and I get angry with him about things. So this whole issue with Israel, and so I just, I said, well, Lord, I don't know how you're going to work this out, because... Okay, so I'm asking you to break my heart. So he began to do that. And now I said, Lord, i got no finances. Go to Israel. The church is in debt. I'm in debt. What the heck am I going to spend $3,500 to go to Israel when i got debt? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't wrap. See, a believer, it's got to make sense <laughs> to this believer. So my brain couldn't wrap around. Why would God send me to Israel, which is going to cost all this money, of which I don't have, and yet there's debt that I need to pay? That does not make sense to me. And it doesn't even make good sense. No, it's bad sense. And so, uh, this is, but this is where I came to over and over again. It makes no sense to me. Why would you pick me when I don't even have a heart for the people? Why would you send me somewhere that I, I don't want to go? Why would you do that to me? And I'd kick and I'd wrestle and I'd, you know, you, ha, don't show your hands, but how many people in this room have, know exactly what I'm talking about? It makes no sense. Emotionally, you're not connected. It just doesn't, it does, it's under the radar. Mm-hmm. So what happened is, this is why I prayed. I said, all right, God, do what you will. Because I want to do. I want to sing that song and mean it. That I'll go where you want me to go. So if you want me to go, you're going to have to open the door. You're going to have to provide the finances. And you're going to have to change my heart. And he did all of that mm-hmm. within a very short amount of time. And it's interesting. I went to speak at a church. And uh, at this, you know, most times when you speak at a church, you get anywhere. It's a blessing. I don't, I don't. I never ask for a speaker fee. I never expect a speaker fee. But I can just tell you what the history is. Usually it's a blessing anywhere from 100 to, I think the biggest one I ever got was 500. In, okay, so there's other things to that, but I, that's that. That's the norm. So I go speak at this church, and this is what the pastor said to me. I can't explain it to you. We've never done this before. I'm, I have nothing to do with this, but my church leadership said we're going to write you out a check for $3,000. Say that, Israel, here I come. <laughs> so, see how that works? So, and then I said, well, I'm short 500 bucks, so God, hello. And then this funny mic. What do you think you're going to do? Get over there and just... You know. So my husband had been saving a whole year. All of his quarters. He was so proud of himself, he gave me these two big jugs of quarters, and he said, I've been saving all year for you. Take them to the bank. I poured them in the... I overloaded the machine. Three times they had to come and fix it. <laughs> ching, cha-ching, cha-ching, over $1,000. Wow. wow. And now this is a guy, he was a cop for like 32 years, and he don't like me going nowhere because he's thinking everybody's going to cut my ring finger off and cash in my diamond. You know what I mean? Like my whole half a 
quarter of a carrot. <laughs> but anyway, it's just, it, he's so protective, and he's just so caring, and he's just going to, you know, make sure I'm comfortable and I'm okay and nobody's going to hurt me. So this is the guy that lets me go to Israel. Now, I go to Israel during a time when there's a lot of unrest. I fly out of Israel November 4th, just last year. November 11th, the big conflict happens. So even while I was there, you felt it everywhere you were. You felt it, you saw it, you knew it. As a matter of fact, it's amazing because in Jerusalem, the city itself, and these are exact statistics, but very close to, 33% are non-believing secular Jewish people. Non-believing meaning they're angry with God over the Holocaust. They just want nothing to do with Jehovah, okay? Adonai. They just, you know, he is what he is. But, and then there are these uh, Muslim background people that have the Muslim background. And then there are the Jews that are the Orthodox Jews, the, about 30% or whatever it is there. And then there's 1% Christians. 1% Christians in Israel. Jew, excuse me, in Jerusalem. 1% Christians. So you feel this emotional... Um, spiritual dynamic, just walking down the street. I mean, you're walking, like, literally, nose-to-nose to people that are of all different, you know, spiritual backgrounds. So you're in the midst of this thing, and you go out to, the, to view the walls of Israel. The, 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 I mean, when I say walls, they're almost as deep as these two rooms. I mean, uh, walls that you can drive chariots on around the city. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. But you, you look at the walls of Jerusalem, and all of a sudden the scripture verses start coming. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would gather you as a mother hen would gather her chicks under my wings. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and you stand there looking at the city that the Lord's going to return. And the east gate that the scriptures talk about is his return is coming through the east gate. And you see that the east gate has been blocked up. They've blocked it up, and what they now have is Muslim tombs. All in front of the East Gate, because they've heard the word of the Lord that he's going to return through the East Gate, but they also know as a Nazarite, he can't go by anything that's dead. So what do they do? They put Muslim tombs right outside the East Gate, and they blocked it out, thinking that's going to keep the Son of God out. <laughs> 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 that's these people and realizing that God so loved the Jewish people, not more than us, but he has not forgotten them. And what he's waiting for is that same love that he has for his people to be awakened in us. And so what I felt standing here today is that just we could cry out to the Lord, maybe you're in the same place that I was. Who cares? Like, what's that got to do with the price of chickens? But there is, there, it is our people. We are one. There is one God. And there are brothers and sisters. They don't yet understand it. To see them at the wailing wall and to see the people with their scripture and they're rocking and they're praying at the wailing wall and they are crying out to God and yet they don't know him. Mm. And I stand there and I go, God, how can that be? How can they cry out? But because they're crying out within their own intellect, within their own mindset, within their, they're not believing because they haven't seen. And I just, my heart was so broken for them. And as we were there, we ministered um, in Ramallah, which is the West Bank. And um, it was very dangerous. I mean, Men with machine guns came on our tour bus, and you had to bring out your passport, and at any, any given moment, you knew something could happen to you. Your life was not your own. 
But in Ramallah, we were there at the Mosaic Church and we ministered. And while I was there, <clears throat> there was a Muslim background believer who had just come to the Lord. And um, this is what causes me, uh, because I didn't read it in a book, because I was there and experienced this person's testimony. And she sat there and she said, because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, my life is in danger. My father has the right to murder me because I have denied the faith of the Muslim faith. And because my children were born in a Muslim household, my children are not my own. They belong to the faith. So in accepting Christ, I lost my home. I lost my children. I've lost my life. I've lost my friends. I've lost everything. And so to hear this testimony... And to sit there and think, man, and I got the gall to say my life is hard. Mm. Jesus, would you forgive me for being such a whip? Mm. My God, we live in America. We have everything. And yet, we gripe about everything. And as this precious woman who has lost everything and shared her, her faith, I was, I'll use this word, not be, it's not in the right way, but I'm, I'm, I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed at how easy I have it, how much I have, and how ungrateful I really am. And I just cried out and I said, God, the American church is just like me. We're so caught up in what we need, what we want. We're so caught up in, well, I prayed this for 12 months and it didn't happen, so I don't really believe it. We give up so easy. We quit on God so easy. We give up on people so easy. We just, we're fat and lazy. And I don't mean physically. I just mean spiritually. We just, we always want to be fed, 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 fed. We have no idea of what it means to sacrifice and to give. And when I saw people in this other part of the world and the suffering, and I saw the value that they place on the Word of God and the value that they place on worship. and I just came back and I just said, Lord, help me to communicate your heart for your church and for the nations of the world. Amen. I want to see the church of Jesus Christ to become true disciples. And I guess maybe I'd close out today with saying this. Will the true disciples of Jesus Christ please stand up? Will those who are willing to lay down their life for the cause of Christ and be prepared as an end-time army? Will the true disciples of Jesus Christ please stand up? Who are willing to allow God to break their heart with things that break His? Who are willing to be the answer to the very prayers that they pray? Who are willing to be the willful forces of our day? Who are willing to be the Joan of Ox of our day? Who are willing to obey God no matter what the price is, like the Heidi Bakers in our day? They're not just good stories to read about of other people. What's going to be said about us? When people stand there around our grave and speak of our life, what will they say? 
that they were a true disciple of Christ? Oh man, they were very mixed up. They couldn't make up their mind. If Jesus was the Lord or not, I sure hope they went to heaven. I sure hope they finally decided. I'm going to invite you right now. Will the true disciples of Jesus Christ please stand up? Those that are willing to do as we read in the beginning. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Sometimes denying yourself isn't the ugly, sinful things of this world. It's the good things. The things that are, that are legitimate. The things that are legal. See, we're always thinking about what sin do I need to give up? How about this? What good thing do you need to give up? <coughs> give up the good for the better. Giving up that good thing. It's not sin. It just keeps you from God's best. Yeah, but God, i got a plan. i got a plan for my life. And in three years I'll be here, and in five years I'll be here, and in ten years this is what I'm doing, and in twenty years, and then by the time I retire, this is what I'll have. It's good. It's not evil. It's good. But what if the Lord wants you to go to Israel? What if the Lord wants you to give your life on the mission field? And it doesn't fit in with your plan. When I was a youth pastor, I know a young man, and he came, and one service, he wept, and he wept, and he said, Pastor, I want to be a pastor, and I, I know my parents have a plan for my life, but it, my heart is broken. I want to be a pastor. I want to help young people. And I remember praying with this young man. And I said, Lord, make a way. He wants to honor his parents, and that's right to do. God, would you change their hearts? Their plan for him is not what this young man's heart is broken over. And I remember we sat with his parents, and he shared with his parents about his desire and said, my heart is broken for this generation of young people, and I want to be a youth pastor. And his parents sat there in the office and said, Neil, how do you think you're going to feed your wife and family on a youth pastor's salary? You'll live in poverty the rest of your life. Listen, I'm not opposed to education. Jesus educated himself. In the synagogue, he obeyed. And he learned for his bar mitzvah, the first five chapters of the Bible from memory. He studied. The word of God says, study to show yourself approved unto God. God gave us a mind. He gave us emotions. We're to use them. But we're not to be led by them. We're to be led by the Spirit of God. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So whatever our plans are, I never planned on being a lead pastor of a church. I never planned on being a missionary to the city of Hamel, Massachusetts. It was not a part of my plan. I desired in my heart to be a youth pastor the rest of my life. I never wanted to leave that place. But it wasn't God's plan. And I'm going to tell you something. That transition was hard. It's never easy to let go of what's good because it's not sinful it's not wrong as in evil but if it keeps you out of the perfect will of God if it keeps you from <clears throat> surrendering to that place of absolute yieldedness to God then it becomes the very thing that is a stumbling block to you whatever relationship you're in and you're so afraid 
that you'll be alone and you hold on to a relationship that's not the best for you. It's tolerable. You can manage it. You can make it work. But it's not God's best. We hold on to it. We grip it, things with our hands, and we hold on so tight because we're so afraid, God, if I let go, what will I have if I let go? I want more of you, God. You can't have more until you let go of what you have. It's never easy. It's never easy. But it's always worth it. It's always worth it. And when I went to Israel and I shared my testimony with this woman and I gave her my book, she hugged me, this Muslim background believer, and she said, I am so grateful that you came to Jerusalem, to Israel. Thank you, because my life is touched. And as we sat in the Jerusalem house of prayer together, this mission team that I went with, there was one lady on the trip. She had morning devotions that day, and we were in the Jerusalem house of prayer. And the devotion was about go into all the world, preach the gospel. And as she was sharing the devotional, she turned to me and she said, Maligno, you don't know it, but God has birthed an international ministry in you. I didn't ask him for it. I don't understand it. I certainly have enough to deal with. I don't need it. But I want the will of God. so that you can receive what it is the Lord has for you. Maybe it's the disapproval of others you're afraid of. The fear of man is a snare. You will never be satisfied as long as you try to appease man. You'll never satisfy. It's like a sinkhole. It'll take more and more and more of your life and rob you of your joy and your peace. There's only one person you have to be concerned about pleasing. And that's the Father. So Lord, I pray for all of those that are here today. And I ask God that you would raise us up as end time disciples. That we would be like John the Beloved. And no matter what you allow to come into our lives, no matter what you require we can pray that same prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Lord, if it's possible to take this cup from me, but not my will, I want your will to be done. God, would you bring us to the place that we want your will more than we care about the opinions of man, more than we care about the status of what we can say we've done, or what we have, or who we know. God, that we would be pleasers of God. That we would delight in obedience. That we would care more about what God says about us than what men say about us. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus. That you would accomplish what you said in your word. 
that you'd mature us because you're coming back for a church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. Any place that we yield our soul to the wicked one and any place that we give him authority out of innocence, ignorance, or intentional disobedience. God, I pray that you would apprehend apprehend every chamber of our hearts. Apprehend every area of our soul. Apprehend, God. Pursue us, God. Don't, don't let us go, God, would you? Stay after us, Lord, as you promised. You'll finish the work you began if we work with you and let you. But even like Peter, he walked away from it. God, you never gave up. Blows our mind. He's the first one that you brought back to restoration out of the twelve. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, God. Sometimes we're like Peter and sometimes we're like Thomas. But we want to be like John. And Lord, it's a work of your Holy Spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by your Spirit. So, God, we say yes. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. We don't understand your God. It's way above us. Your thoughts are so much greater. Jesus said, greater things will you do because I go to the Father. We don't even understand what that means. But God, we want it. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who's committed to finish the work and the assignment you gave him. We love you, Lord. just dismiss everyone, but even um, if you guys need prayer even on this topic specifically of just even one clarity or direction or just someone to agree with you in prayer or about anything, even if it's not about this, feel free to um, see Jordan or Jen or myself or even Will after service and just get prayer, but we love you guys and have a great evening.